Hey everybody, this is Ruben, and you're listening to Amazing Stories. There was a woman, a woman that I doted on, to whom I gave all my pent-up emotions. She visited me in my rooms at Cambridge, and we took tea near the canal looking over the water. And she said that she loved me. Then some money that was due to me went elsewhere, and she... Well, she took me by the hand and placed me next to her in front of a mirror. There, she said. Holly, there. Can you not see the disparity? There am I, young, beautiful even, full of the joys of living. And there are you. Can you not see it? Can you not see it in the mirror? One could believe in Darwin's monkey theories if we all looked as you do. But how, Holly, did we ever get from you to me? You are ugly, Holly. Ugly. No, it can never be you and I. And my reflection, my ugly, ape-like reflection, looked back. There is some comfort when there is only the self to be disappointed by. Indeed, man is a self-reliant creature. And in this year of 1869, when Queen Victoria's dominions stretch to the new worlds and our kingdom is great and supreme, I, Ludwig Horatio Holly, I, Ludwig Holly, find myself alone once more. Oh, it's very late. Very. Vincent, what is the matter? It's almost midnight. Let me in, dear fellow, before I collapse. <coughs> Whatever is wrong? I haven't time to explain, Holly. I have just a few hours left. few hours? <coughs> Whatever do you mean? Shall I call a doctor? Holly, I am a doctor. No, a doctor cannot help me. I am past care. Have you been drinking? How long have we been friends? Two years, maybe more. Two years? How much do you know about me? I know you're a man of his word and a good friend. And you are solid, Holly. <coughs> uh, let me get you some water. No. No. Holly, I want you to look after my son. Your son? Yes, I know. I never told you. My son. I have a son. He's five. Five? Uh, uh, come on, old chap. Come on. Let's call a doctor. At least sit yourself down. It can't be as bad as you say. Uh, Holly, agree to look after my son. <coughs> well, me? <laughs> I will not be able to rest unless I know that you will take him... <coughs> <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm so used to my own company. Uh, what use am I to a child? I have not I... been watching you for two years for nothing. <coughs> you must. I have maybe an hour, maybe less, before I... <coughs> well, before you die? Well, all right, all right, Vincy. Since I'm sure you're not about to die, I will say yes. Yes, I will take your five-year-old son. Holly, you're a true friend, and... <coughs> There's this. This casket. Oh, will it leave marks? Um, it contains... It is doubtful that you will believe me. When he is 25, you may open the casket. Tell me what's in it. When he is 25, you may open the casket and make up your own minds. Tell me. Vincent! But you won't believe me. All right. I am descended from an Egyptian priest of Isis called Callicrates. There, Holly. Your face. A very blank face. 
It's an academic's face, that's all. Go on. It's an unbeliever's face. <coughs> there are things that are beyond explanation. Things of faith still in the world. Callicrates was a priest of Greek descent. He broke his vows by falling in love with the last pharaoh's daughter, Amenartas. They fled Egypt together, and after many adventures found themselves wrecked off the coast of Africa. Here, they became guests of a savage tribe who had, as a ruler, an all-powerful white queen, a magician of terrible powers. She became angry with my ancestor, with Callicrates, and by some magical force struck him dead. But Amenartas escaped. She was with child, Callicrates' child, and she named him Tisisthenes, which means mighty avenger. She wanted, needed him to return and avenge their loss, to kill the White Queen. The contents of this casket proves my ancestry, the route back to this ancient priest Callicrates and his wife, Amenartas. You still have a very blank expression, Holly. Well... It's in the chest. It's all there. Documents, family bloodlines, in the casket. Ten years ago, my father died, leaving me an inheritance, and I, too, tried to find this place. Tried to find this terrible white queen. But you're saying this happened thousands of years ago. <coughs> but that's absurd. You're trying to tell me that she still exists, ruling over a tribe somewhere in the middle of Africa? I mean, come, come, my friend, stay the night, sleep this thing off. You don't have to believe me. You of all men will decide for yourself. Anyway... My attempt to find her ended disastrously. On my way back, I found myself in Athens, and there I met my wife. As beautiful, I am quite certain, as that princess all those centuries before her. She died giving birth to my son. I have not seen the child since that day. I was unable to. And then I grew ill, and now I am sure to die. <laughs> there was something in the air, you know, Holly, in that hot swamp-filled place in Africa. Something malevolent that carried disease in its breath. <laughs> Vincent. When he is 25, you must open the casket and decide what then must be done. I will provide for you both with ample money for you as his guardian and for him. He must learn Arabic and Greek. Holly... I know you won't be the most forward-thinking of guardians, uh. but you are solid. Solid like a great oak, you will be the best father a son could have. I am told he is a good and bright child. Take him, take him and love him in the way I could not. There is no such thing as death, Holly. Only a change. Mm -hmm. You are wearing the most extraordinary expression, my dear friend. You will see. You will see. Where are you going? I would rather die alone like a rat. Uh, Vincy, stay here. Stay here tonight. I can make you quite comfortable. Uh, Vincy! I must go. Vincy! <laughs> Vincy! But he was dead. Dear fellow. Quite dead. My dear friend. My only friend. His funeral was attended by myself and one of his tutors, no one else to witness the passing of this good and virtuous man. Two days later, a letter arrived from his solicitors, 
announcing the forthcoming arrival of Leo. I cannot at the time say this pleased me, but I felt, of course, duty-bound to my dear friend. Though I couldn't understand why Vincy thought me so backward in my thinking. I've read all of Darwin, and only the other day I finished Herbert Spencer's The Principles of Biology and his riveting theory of the survival of the fittest. Goodness, one doubts if Vincy even read it. Poor Vincy. And so Leo, aged five and a half, arrived. And everything, every part of my ordered life, was changed forever. Uh, no, 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 Leo, don't put it there. Uh, it'll leave marks. Um, what about there? Why don't we put your marble run over there? Yes, Uncle Holly. Yeah, that's it. Yes, that's it. Are you reading a good book? It concerns the finer points of medieval alabaster. Would you like me to read it to you? No, I only like trains. Woo-woo! Job! Yes, Mr. Ollie? Could you take Master Leo out for his afternoon walk? Certainly, Mr. Ollie. Can I take my marbles out for a walk too? Yes. No. Uh, well, just make sure he doesn't lose any. Come along, Master Leo. Uh, please stop making that noise. What are you doing, Leo? I'm only taking the blue ones. The others are tired. Golden slumbers kissed your eyes. Smiles away to when you rise. What are you doing? I'm singing them to sleep. Job does it. When he puts me to bed, he makes me sleep. Makes a marble sleep too. It helps send the lad off, Mr. Ollie. Hmm. Golden slumbers kiss your eyes. Yeah, stop it. Smiles away to Stop it! I, I, I mean, please, Leo. Uh, just go for a nice afternoon walk with Job. But they won't sleep. They will! Why don't I sing to them and you go off with Job? All right, Uncle Holly. Go on, then. Off you go. You have to sing first. They won't sleep otherwise. They might cry. <clears throat> Golden slumbers kiss your eyes. Smiles await you when you rise. Louder, Uncle Holly. Marbles are a bit deaf. Golden slumbers kiss your eyes. Sm Leo, are you laughing at me? Let's get that coat on, Master Leo. We'll be a couple of hours, Mr. Holly. Good. Years passed, and we made a strange pair. He, handsome, tall, with a ring of golden curls round his head, just like his father, and me with my continuing great ugliness. There were many names for us two around the college. Firstly, Beauty and the Beast, and then as Leo turned 24 and the number of women declaring undying love for him doubled to two a week, the Greek god and his assistant, Charon. He became not only my son, but my friend and my only confidant. Then, the day before his 25th birthday arrived, and we collected the great casket from the deposit box at the bank. And in keeping with my dear friend Vince's wishes, waited until midnight before opening it. Lock the door, Job. I don't want anyone else seeing this. Indeed, Mr. Ollie. Indeed we don't. 
Hand me the key to the casket, Leo. There you are. Can't seem to open it. May I try? Oh. It's very stiff. I got some cooking oil. Yes. What for? It helps with locks, sir. Oils it. May I? <sighs> Looks like wood filings. It's parchment, Jeb. Clearly of some antiquity. You sure it's not wood filings? Make good kindling. Is that for me? I believe it's your father's handwriting. Oh. My dear and only son, if you are reading this, you have survived to full manhood, and I am many years dead. Forgive me for never knowing you. Your life took away from me a woman, your mother, who was the light of day for me, the very air I breathed, and after her death I could not look upon you without thinking of her. Forgive me. And though I never stood with you as a child, I stand behind you now as you read this letter, reaching my hand out to you across the gulf of death. Holly, my good true friend, has, I am sure, told you something of the great history of your ancestors. This casket contains evidence of this history and of your ancient ancestress, the Egyptian Amenartas. Her strange story was told to me by my father on his deathbed. It concerns the love of a terrible white queen, whose dazzling beauty tempted our great ancestor Callicrates to desert his wife, Amenartas. It is said that she, this queen, offered Callicrates eternal life if he would abandon Amenartas. When he refused, this all-powerful woman struck him down and killed him, and it is said that she lives on, even now. This story haunted me, dug deep into me. It was as if a rope had been tied round my belly and was pulling me towards her, to Africa. In my mind, I thought I saw that terrible queen. I thought I saw her, her voice soft, soothing, eternal, echoing across space and time with longing, such longing. Her voice, Leo, was transfixing as if the world could be held by the utterance of one word from her lips. I set sail, found the headland spoken of in the parchments in this casket, a headland near the river Zambezi, shaped like the head of a man. I walked for days inland and was told of an African tribe who spoke Arabic and were ruled by a white queen. Then I fell ill from some terrible disease festered in those swamps. I was forced to leave and my adventures took me to Greece, where I met your beautiful mother and fell in love. And then you were born. I fully intended to return to Africa, but my loss and the illness brought my life to an early close. Leo... It was as if the madness of the adventure and the land and the White Queen herself had poisoned me. Here is your heritage, and here is also your choice. To stay and never know, or to go and see if the legend is true. What do you say to this, Holly? That your father had clearly lost all reason and gone mad. And what do you say, Job? I say you dig deeper under those wood filings, Master Leo. See whatever else is in there. Uh, well, this is in Latin. 
Caecilius Vindex, Atmilius Vindex, Atius Vindex, Roman names. A family tree. I ceased from my going, the gods being against me. This is Elizabethan. Found the headland, forced back by high winds, crewed dead. They tried. Over and over again, my ancestors, they tried to find her and they all failed. And this? Uh, careful, Leo, it could fall apart in your hands. Holly, it's ancient Greek. It's a beautiful thing, Master Leo. You translate it for us. I, I never had much call to learn Greek. I, I am Inartus. Write this write for my this son for in the last son. few days of my life in the great city of Athens. We fled, Callicrates and I, across the valley of the Nile, across the great desert and by sea down the Libyan coast. Callicrates, the beautiful and the strong, was a priest of Isis. He surrendered his vows for our love. My father, the pharaoh, Naktanebo, pursued us. We found an inlet and took our boat along its way. Behind was a marshland, a terrible, endless swamp. There was a headland on the coast that marked the inlet in the shape of a man's head. We thought we would be safe. We were guests of a queen, a powerful white queen ruling over a black tribe near the ancient city of Kor. She was kind at first, almost good. She loved Callicrates. She tempted him with her beauty and trickery. And when that failed, she guided us into a never-ending cavern with long winding paths that fell away into a bottomless abyss of darkness where the wind rushes and howls as if the walls of the place knew the dreadful defiance that lives within. The rolling flame of life a fire that seals eternity into a being. A fearful, dreadful roar. A light of blistering white. She stood in the flame and grew more beautiful still. And became immortal. A being sealed by the flame. A being that would not see death. Callicrates would not look at her. He covered his eyes, shading them from her terrible beauty. I think he would have left my side if he had looked upon her then. A beauty that destroys all vows, all love, all happiness. In one mesmerizing gaze. Such did she look, naked in that flame. Callicrates still clung to me, and now, in her rage, she struck him with her skill and he fell dead. I could not defend him against her, and I saw the corruption she would become, and I cursed her as my Callicrates lay dead in my arms. I curse you. I curse you, Ayesha. You will never know peace or happiness. My descendants will pursue you, find you, hunt you down and kill you. You will grow weary, alone and desolate. 
and the ugly desperation of solitude will eat into every part of your being. Never doubt that my revenge, as my hate, will be eternal. She let me go. I have magic from my own people. She dare not harm me. I was taken to where the great river flows, and after much suffering, found shelter in Athens amongst Callicrates' own people. I was with child, and to my son, the Avenger, I leave these words. Find her. Avenge me for the great wrong that terrible queen did to yours and mine, Tisisthenes, and to your son and your son's son. Across time, I call you to avenge this evil. Find her and kill her. What bosh? It's a mighty fearful story, Master Leo. Bosh, look at all this, Holly. You can't dismiss all these documents. I must go. What? I have to. You don't? Across time. What was that, Master Leo? I must. Why must you go? Well, to avenge some sort of 2,000-year-old feud between two ancient women. No. No, not to avenge. Isn't that what she wants you to do? Not to avenge. Then what? I have to go. Isn't that enough? Shall I put the muffins on for tea? No, it's not enough. I have to go. Why? I'll go and put them on, then. <laughs> I've always felt it. What? Ever since you told me what my father told you of the story, I felt... Watched. Watched? No, not watched. I felt as if someone was calling to me. A voice like silk. Oh, that's just more utter bosh. And that's why I've never told you. And I suppose this calling is female? I'm going, Holly. With or without you. <sighs> There's much to shoot. In Africa, rhinos, crocodiles, giraffe, wildebeest, aardvarks, mongoose, zebras, cheetahs, kudu, leopards, warthogs, waterbuck. Lions? Yes, lions. Tea, anyone? We going, then? There won't be no muffins in Africa, you know. Nor upholstery, or soft furnishings, or anywhere nice to sit. So there it was. Leo's utter determination to go left Job and me with no choice. Three months later, we were at sea on a boat on course to Africa. I must say that I am a trifle afraid of water. Tie yourself on, Mr. Owen! Mr. Leo, here, take this rope! What was that, Job? You tie yourself on or a wave will take you! What? The storm will pass, Mr. Ollie. What are you saying? It will pass. What? Leo, take this and tie Mr. Ollie. Yes, sir. Don't look so frightened, Holly. What? Let's not speak to him, Leo. I think we're making it worse. Bail! Right, oh, Joe. Bail with everything you've got. She's sinking, Joe. Here, here's my note. Cut you, Mr. Ollie, free. We're going to take the whaleboat. Come on, she's sinking. Quick, or she'll take the whaleboat too. Take my hand, Mr. Ollie. Who, me? Take it. Now, now jump. Jump. 
Push him off, Leo. You pushed me! I must help these other men, Joe! This way, get on the whale boat! This way! Come on, Leo! We'll all be lost! Leo! Leo! Jump, Leo! All tight, Miss Roy! I kind of lose now! Leo! Leo! What to help the other men! What's that roaring, Joe? Bear above the storm! Breakers! Breakers, sir! We're near land! We're near land! Oh, it's not good, sir! Not in weather, I guess! Leo! Jump, Master Leo! Leo! Hold on tight, Mr. Raleigh! Here comes another one! I can't see Leo! Leo! There's someone in the water, Mr. Raleigh! You see it? There! There's Leo! Breathing, sir? Uh, yes. Safely, but yes. Leo. Yeah, Leo. I can steer her now. Get clear of these rocks and wait till dawn. There's some blankets in the orbit, Ron, for Mr. Leo. Uh, you're a fine sailor, Job. River Aver, Miss Raleigh. Fast tidal river. Sailed on her when I was a kid. We barely slept. Leo next to us, quietly breathing. And as the night passed, I could not help but ponder on this fragile veil of life to which we attach ourselves so fervently, this mortal coil. Eighteen of our fellow travellers were now dead, and the first rays of the bright African dawn, so vital and full of life, cut into the dark sky, but remained unseen by their dead souls, lying on the ocean bed. Ollie. Ollie. He, he's scary. Leo? Is it time for chapel? I only wish it was, Mr. Leo. What a racket. You hungry? Did I drown? You were brought back to us, Leo. Good to see you all, fella. We had a bit of a fright. I could eat a horse. There's some potted tongue in the box. Potted tongue, Leo? Potted tongue it is. Uh, <laughs> the eggs at home. Eggs, bacon and sweet tea. Ollie! Holly, the head. The man's head. Goodness, Leo. There, behind you, that rock. It's in the shape of a man's head. It means it's all true. Uh, Leo, it really doesn't. You went round the back of it, it wouldn't look like a head. It looked more like a bump. Joe's right. It only looks like a head if looking at it from the water. If you look at it from land... But they did look at it from the water. Still doesn't prove anything. And that's a man-made wharf. Oh, come on, Leo. You can't tell me that's natural. Who would build a harbour here? It's stone, Holly. And what about that? It's a stone ring for Maury. He's got you there, Mr. Ollie. Stop looking at me like that. It could be Phoenicians, the Egyptians, the Greeks, all of them passed through Africa. And it could be remnants from the ancient city of Kor. It could be Phoenician. You unbeliever. Which way, Master Leo? Up the inlet. That's where they went. I was afraid you'd say that. It looks mighty boggy up there. Listen to that sound. Isn't it amazing? It is, Leo. The sound of Africa. All that life. Ow! Oh, what is it, Joe? Spinter. Oh, I miss our soft furnishings. There was a light breeze at first, and we travelled gently upstream. Then the reeds and swamp moved in on the water, and we were reduced to towing the boat in that terrible heat. 
I will not go into the detail of those long, hard days. Suffice to say that they remain amongst the most unpleasant I have yet endured, forming one monotonous memory of heavy labour, endless swamp, heat, misery, and unrelenting mosquitoes. I can only attribute our survival to constant doses of quinine and purgatives. I too found myself thinking of soft furnishings. I have one particular armchair in my lodgings at Cambridge. I found myself thinking about that chair very much. Give Allah Karamike. Give Allah Karamike. I think they want us to get up. What are they saying? They're telling us to stand up, Joe. I can't get up with five spears in the way. Stand up. We are many. You are few. Can you understand what they're saying? Stand up slowly. They're telling us to get up slowly. What are they talking in? Uh, it's Arabic, I think. You can understand them, then? Well, it's a strange accent. But yes, Job, yes, we can understand them. Shall we kill them, Father? What are they saying now? Best be quiet, Job. What colour are they? They are very dirty. White. They are a white colour under a dirt. Then do not kill them. She who must be obeyed wills it. Take them, but do not harm them. Put them in the litters and carry them. But they are so dirty, Father. She has ordered it. What are they saying? They're calling us dirty. Dirty? Move, fat one. How? He just poked me. Shh, Joe. They want us to climb into the litters. We were exhausted and had little choice and climbed, not with the greatest of ease, into the litters. The land was now grassland, a green basin that stretched out to a ridge of mountains far in the distance. The elder of them, and their apparent leader, approached my litter. He stroked his long beard and looked at me. You are ugly. Yes. You know our tongue? I do. Are you a monkey? The other does not look like a monkey. The other is most pleasing to look at. I am not a monkey. You look like a monkey. You have hair that comes out of your feet. I'm not a monkey. Very well, monkey. Uh, where are you taking us? To she who must be obeyed. Who? She who must be obeyed. Rest. It is a long journey. We must stay one night with my people. I must go and see the fat one. Job. The fat one. We continued till dusk, and by then Bilali, for that was the old gentleman's name, was calling me Baboon. Come, Baboon, the pleasing one and the fat one. You must all wash. Why do you wear these bad-for-you garments? You mean my Norfolk jacket and flannel trousers? You are so dirty. Take them off. Uh, they're jolly good, these flannel trousers. What does he want us to do? He wants us to take our clothes off. There is a pool over there. Please, you smell so bad. I am very reluctant to wash with ladies looking on. They will not look at you, my baboon. They will look at the pleasing one. <laughs> Come on, it is like talking to babies. You cannot eat with us unless you are clean. It is not good for the food. And who will sit near you smelling so badly? They're recommending that we wash in the local pool. Oh, I'd love a wash and a shave. Where's the pool? Holly won't go. Their women will be able to see us. Oh, I brought up seven sisters. That won't bother me. There's a change of clothes for us in my Gladstone bag. I'm off for a swim. Where's Job going? To wash. Wahey! I'm going too. 
Follow them, my baboon. You are too ugly for any women to watch. Bilali was quite right. No woman looked at me or Job. But Leo was quite a different matter. A striking-looking woman that had been watching us since we arrived stared intently at him. Leo, much to my embarrassment, gazed back, and if I didn't know better, even encouraged her, showing his naked body off in the water and flexing his rather fine muscles. <laughs> Ustane, for that was her name, laughed. It was a gentle laugh, a very gentle, soft laugh. You could not help but like her. And when we got out of the pool and dressed, she followed him, blocking his path. Well, I never. She, she just kissed Leo. Did, did you see that, Miss Raleigh? She yes. just went up to him and gave, gave him a scorcher right on the lips. Yes. Goodness to Betsy. You are mine. You are mine. I have put my arms about you. I have touched your lips with my lips. You are mine. Across time. You are mine. How lovely. Leo. What? She's jolly lovely. You are hers now. Am I? The women choose. It is not the same where you come from. No, it is not. We find it much the best way. And when she grows bored of us, she will choose another. And we do not mind. They make the best choices. Men, they decide too rashly and not for the heart. Ustani has chosen the pleasing one for his heart. Not for his muscles. We should introduce this custom to Cambridge, Holly. <laughs> Ustane, is that your name? Yes. You are very beautiful, Ustane. You are also beautiful. You must eat. Come this way. What are your people called, Ustane? The Amahaga. We are the Amahaga. This way, you and your friends must be hungry. What's she saying, Leo? I think Ustane is taking us to eat, Job. Ustane guided us through a twisting path inside a cave. The cave widened into a great cavern where the men that had carried the litters stood in a long line holding their spears. Agara, their leader, looked at us unsmiling and with resentment. Hate, even. There we ate. What, what do you think it is, Mr. Ollie? Uh, some sort of local brew? No. That's vulgar. Your hair is so soft. It's got the edge on potted tongue. Look your mouth. Do they have friend. to do that here, Mr. Ollie? It's put me right for me food. Where's she going? A big pot was brought into the room, large enough to fit a cow in. A cow or maybe something else. Ustani started to point at us. wonder what they're going to cook in that great thing. Then all the men started pointing and the drums grew louder. What do savages eat as men coarse, do you suppose, Leo? Is Ustani a savage, Holly? It's boiled goat's rather fine for savages. But then my heart turned over. The Amahaga started to build a great fire. I knew what was about to happen. I was certain. Ustani was now arguing with their stern-looking men. They were repeatedly pointing at Job, then at all of us. Then they put the huge pot on top of the fire and poured water in. There must be a big goat going in there. They're going to put... A man in there. Don't be daft. With respect, Mr. Raleigh. Men taste horrible, like lizards. Well, I've, I've heard they taste like lizards. If you like your cuisine, you're not going to eat a man. She's coming back. We'll ask her. Don't do that. Then she'll know we know. 
know what? Look at her face. Look at the worry on her face. She's hiding something. Have you eaten enough? There's more to come. Is there? They moved towards us. The drums became louder still. Hatred. I was sure of it. Utter hatred. Why do they look at us like that, Ustani? Why do they look at us with such hate? Because you are white. And because you are white, they think you are like she. I have my gun, Job. Don't do anything rash, Mr. Ollie. Look at their faces. Look at them. They look harmless to me. Because we are white. Yes. And she has diminished all of us. Look. There's what they're cooking. Is it? Is it? Ollie! It's a pig! Oh, you're not going to like that much, Mr. Ollie. I think you just killed a man. Come on! The white man! Kill the white man! What have you done? Quick, we must get out of here. I can't see the way out. Let go! Let go! Mr. Ollie! Look after me, Joe! Oh, Ustani! Good after Ustani! They'll kill you! Let me wrap myself around you! Protect you! Ustani, please, let go! You needn't die too! They'll have to kill me first! Move, Ustani, or we'll run you both through! Cease! End this! She has ordered! She has said! No harm is to come to these men, and yet you defy her! Agara! Agara! Let them go! They killed Toman. There he is on the ground. They kill like she. They do not touch a man. They do not kill with honor. They stand away and point. Like she, like the barbarian that controls us, ruins us. These white men bring the same evil. Agara, be careful with your mouth. She hears everything. They are the same. There is no peace with these white-fleshed kings. They take everything. She will know what they have done. She will decide. And you, Agara. You will come with me, so she who must be obeyed can know all. You would have killed them. She must know that too. There's no sorry in their eyes. Look, the white ones are empty of goodness. That's enough, Agara. And what are you, old man? What are you, Bilali? The servant of a tyrant, the servant of evil. Toman is dead, and you look on as if in serving her you have become as empty as she. I will come with you. I would gladly tell she all these things. We must leave. I must take you to she now. Come, come. Yeah, come, come. Come with me. And we were traveling again. Ustani came with us. She would not be parted from Leah. And Agara walked next to us, furious and silent. The light began to fail, and we rested, staying close to the fire. Not for its heat, for we were quite sticky enough in the sweltering temperature. But the smoke was the only thing that deterred the mosquitoes, or musketeers, as Job called them. Stunning. Tell me about she who must be obeyed. I know little. Have you seen her? No. But they say she's very beautiful. They say she shines like the sun itself. Like a light you are drawn to, but that will burn you. Does she have a husband? No. Is she wise? My grandmother had a sister. She was nine. Uban was her name. She was always naughty, my grandmother said, always running and playing jokes. <laughs> she, she stole some fruit from the walled garden of she. 
Uban was caught, and she struck her down without touching her. And a white line spread across Uban's black hair. She withered, died slowly over seven days. She looked like a little old woman by the time life left her. That's what my grandmother told me. Just for a handful of cherries. How could she have killed your grandmother's sister? How can the same woman still be ruling? Don't ask me anymore. She hears everything. She can hear the wind 20,000 steps away. She can hear a bird on the other side of the mountain. She can hear a death anywhere amongst our people. <clears throat> she will be listening now, watching over us. I have waited and waited for my love to come beyond. I have waited and waited for my lover's song. I have looked into time and seen you standing, standing. You will leave me. You will prefer her to me. Ustani, whatever are you talking about? I see it. I see it. What can you see? But tonight, we are together. Of course. Tonight is our own. In the grave, there's no love, no warmth, no touching. In the grave, there's nothing at all. Wistani, there'll be no grave. Come, come, let me hold you. I attempted to sleep, but the wretched stink of the swamp, the bullfrogs, Ustani's stories of she and Job's snoring kept me quite awake. I looked over towards Leo and noticed that his face seemed flushed in the firelight and Ustani was watching over him anxiously. I gave him the last of the quinine and lay back and looked towards the heavens. Above me was the great fiery firmament, a great blanket of endless stars. If she is eternal like the heavens above, then what type of society had she created around her? If her superiority and her knowledge is so great, why rule through fear? And as I lay on the ground that night, I felt the shudder of my own mortality run right through me and penetrate me with a terrible female laugh. I felt certain that something truly fearful was about to befall us. Ah, ponder not the great infinite, ye tiny mortals, for what dread the imagination can summon. Ah, you're snoring, Job. Mm, sorry, Lucy. Holly. Mr. Holly. What is it, Ustani? The fever, Mr. Holly. He has the fever. Leo? Can you hear me, Leo? You'll never take me alive. Get off me. Uh, Job, have we any more quinine? Job? I think I'm going to die. The fat one has it too. Oh, they must rest. No, baboon. It is the fever from the swamp. We must move as soon as it is light. If they stay here, they will both die. 
We are an hour from the plains of Kor. Mm. Then we will reach good air. In the morning, Leo could barely speak. Bilali assured me that Job's fatness would see him through the worst of it, but he could not reassure me as regards Leo. Ustani attended Leo with unfaltering devotion, and soon the swampland was behind us and the grass plains of Kor spread out before us, encircled by a wall of rock shadowing the land. Bilali explained to me as we moved closer to it that the path through was secret. They blindfolded us and guided us through a gateway. What do you make of that, Job? <laughs> it was a vast garden in a shallow basin surrounded by an ancient wall and caves with apartments cut into the rock above. There were rose trees, freesias, and wisteria winding itself around the walls and moving up towards the caves. The whole place was awash with colour. There were pens holding goats, ducks and geese, and a fountain bubbled at its centre. It's unnatural. What's unnatural? Rose trees in Africa. Leo, Mr Holly! He's worse. What's she saying? He's worse, Joe. The pleasing one will get no better. What does that mean? Ask Bilali to ask she. She can save him. She can stop death. Ask Bilali. Ask him. Is that true? She has not asked to see you yet. But surely we can ask to see her. No, my baboon. But Bilali, you must ask her. What if he dies? She will think nothing of it. At least ask. I will come with you. No, you cannot. Bilali, I will come with you. Surely she won't leave a man to die. Bilali! She has not asked to see you. I cannot let Leo die, do you understand? I understand, but she will not. Hustani! You must beg, Mr. Holly. Go on your hands and knees and beg her. Beg? Come then, but she will not like it. Where are you going, Mr. Holly? Bilali is going to ask their queen if she will help. Well, tell her Leo's dying, that should do it. They're not sure if it will. Well, what sort of person is she then? Bilali and I entered the caves. Lanterns lit our way. In the dim light, I could make out reliefs that covered each wall, ancient depictions of war, of birth, of marriages, of love and burials. These are places for the dead. Indeed, baboon. Holly. Yes, my baboon. And the dead are still here? They are. An ancient people, the people of Kor. Their remains, as they were when they lived, are in many of these rooms. Men and women as perfect as the day they died. These people held secrets that have been lost and we do not possess. Suddenly, Bilale dropped to his knees. A more graceless image cannot be imagined. This elderly man crawling along the ground with his robes trailing along the floor. Get, get down, baboon. Why are you on all fours? Get down. I'll ruin my Norfolk jacket. She, get down. You must get down, baboon. I remained upright, but now followed a few steps behind Bilali. His progress was so slow, I was tempted to kick him. You must go on the ground in the presence of she who must be obeyed. Baboon. 
Bilali continued hectoring me as we went into a smaller alcove and then out into a place draped in hangings with ivory figures set in the walls. And then this elderly man threw himself prostrate on the floor. I simply couldn't do that. I didn't see her shape at first. I felt her eyes. And with them the same sensation that I had had the night before of mortality walking right through me. A sudden, dreadful, blistering coldness. A shadow moved behind a drape at the back of the room. You're afraid. She spoke. Or to this day, I'm not certain if I did not hear her in my mind first. Never be afraid of me. I will not harm you. Holly. Holly. I was shaking. I was shaking. I could barely speak. Holly. And she stood up and walked towards a small pool in the corner of the room. She was covered head to toe in tightly bound white gauze so you could not see her face. And she glided across the room with utter loveliness as if she walked on air like a spirit. Please try not to be afraid of me. You know my name. I have watched you. Oh. I will show you. Old man? Yes, my she. Your men, they would have killed this man and the others? Yes, she, if I had not stopped them. Bring them where we eat tonight. There I will judge them. Get up. <sighs> Leave us. <sighs> this pool, there is your answer. I have watched your journey. Think in your mind of where you would like to be, and as you think, it will appear. And I looked into the water and imagined Cambridge. And there it was, still intact, still the same, miles and miles away from where I stood then, green and untroubled. Magic. Has so little changed that men still think that magic exists? Come, sit with me. <sighs> Holly, sit with me. I have told you I will not harm you. How can I learn anything of you if you remain so afraid? <sighs> Tell me. Do the pharaohs still guard Egypt? The pharaohs? And the Jews. Did their messiah come? And Greece. I know nothing of what has happened in the world. Is Greece still great? Do great men still gather there? No. Are none of these things as they were? Pity. Do men still war and fight and battle? Yes, of course they do. No time can change that. No, that has not changed. You speak my language well. Where are you from, Holly? Tell me. 
Great Britain. And is she great? We have dominions all over the world. Ah, a powerful empire. Yes, the empire. And how did your people gain this great empire, Holly? We have superior force, superior knowledge. So, this was done through might and fear. Uh, we have brought civilization to where we have gone. As did the Egyptians, as did the Greeks. But they all ruled through fear. Your country is different? Absolutely. Hmm. Perhaps. Oh, it is so long since I have found another to talk to. Bilali and his people come to me begging and on all fours I weary of their worship and their simple terror. But your mind has a, a new universe in it. I have been here alone for so long, waiting. We will talk and talk again. It is so long since I have met a mind as yours, filled. Can you see into my mind? You know I can. <laughs> but you have an ill-advised wish. That is a disappointment, with a mind so full of wonder and intelligent things. A wish, like so many wishes, that will do you harm. Ask. There is a man in our party. He caught the fever traveling here. He will die. I will come tomorrow. But he will die. It is better that he fights it. My skill will shake the very core of him. But what if he dies? Is he your son? As dear to me as a son, he is my ward. Tomorrow. I, uh, tomorrow. Yes. My she. Aisha. Call me Aisha. It is a name I am fond of and have not heard for many years. But that isn't the wish you wanted to ask. No. No. May I see you? I am covered so that you may not see me. You will waste away if I remove my veil. I will burn into your being. I will settle on your mind's eye and never leave it. And my image will be with you always. And you will love me for the rest of your days. I am past such emotions. I c can't love. I am immune to longings, utterly immune. Then you may gaze at your own cost. And she, she who must be obeyed, Aisha, stepped out from behind her veil, and I looked. I looked upon her.
In the first part of She by Ryder Haggard, Aisha was played by Mia Soteriu, Holly by Tim McInerney, Leo by Oliver Chris, and Job by Howard Coggins. Janice Aqua was Amanatas and Ustani, Benon Wukwe was Bilali, and Damien Lynch was Agara. Fincy was played by Tom Sherman, and Young Leo by Oliver Bainham. Specially composed music was by Elizabeth Purnell. She was dramatised for radio by Hattie Naylor and directed in Bristol by Sarah Davis. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to join us tomorrow for yet another amazing story.